The following program is recorded content created by the Truth Network. Should we put up political signs in our yards or wear political hats as followers of Jesus? That and much more on the show today. It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, biblical scholar and cultural commentator, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice for moral sanity and spiritual clarity. Call 866-34-TRUTH to get on The Line of Fire. And now, here's your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Thank you so much for joining us on The Line of Fire. This is Michael Brown. Delighted, as always, to be with you. My last day broadcasting from CFNI in Dallas, flying out right after the show. And back in our studio, God willing, tomorrow, 866-348-7884, 866-34-TRUTH. A bunch of things I want to talk to you about. We've got a special guest joining us at the bottom of the hour. But first, I want to put out a question for you. I'm not just taking random calls on all subjects as we do on some days, but I want to get your response to this specific question. It came up in a Q&A I was doing with a leadership group the other day, and a woman raised her hand, she and her husband ministry for decades, and she said they live in a very democratic community. Their state overall is, is a red state, a Republican state. But their community, where they've lived for about 10 years, is very heavily Democratic, about 50 families there. They themselves are known as Christians. They are known as believers. So Christmas, they'll have an open display and openly celebrate uh, the resurrection of Jesus at Easter and things like that. So they are known as Bible-believing Christians in their community. And they were asked to put up signs in their yard supporting two Republican candidates who hold to biblically-based values in many of the key points. Uh, should they do it or not? That was the question. We were doing a Q&A about the church and politics and things like that. So obviously, I, I said, of course, I believe you and your husband, mature believers, will, will have wisdom and know the right thing to do. And I'll tell you a little later what the husband told me today that, that he wants to do, his decision. But here are the pros and the cons, and I, I want to get your opinion on this. On the one hand, as a follower of Jesus, you hold to particular views based on the Bible, and you believe those views are best for society. And if there is a candidate that shares those values, let's say they share your values of pro-life and pro-justice and pro-family and things like that, they, they share your values, they're running, shouldn't you say, hey, this is part of the gospel, this is part of following the Lord. We care for the poor, the needy. We care for the unborn. We, we want to see, we want to see biblically based justice in our society, etc. So we stand for these things. These are important to us. And therefore we want to stand with these candidates. We feel it's important as well that, that they are backed and we're not ashamed of that. And therefore we're going to let it be known that gospel and politics intersect. Why should we be ashamed of the ones we're voting for? On the other hand, that's the argument for, right? On the other hand, you could say, look, they know us as Christians. They know we are believers. Our biggest goal is to win them to the Lord. In that community, us putting up a sign is not going to get any votes for that candidate. It's unlikely it's going to change someone's mind. But it might alienate us because now we're endorsing candidates in a particular party 
That means that rather than our neighbors primarily associating us with Jesus, they will be associating us with a particular party or a particular candidate. What if that candidate holds to certain biblically-based values but is hypocritical in others? What if they put out some campaign ads that you don't like? Now you are associated with them, so that could tarnish your gospel witness, all right? So do you do it or not? Uh, you even separate between standing for a cause versus standing for a candidate as a believer. In other words, when, I, when I'm pro-life, when I'm unashamedly pro-life, there's nothing to be ashamed about in the position. In other words, I, I care about the life of the unborn and believe that ultimately the best choice for mother and child is, is not to, to, to terminate the pregnancy, to slaughter the baby in the womb, right? So I, that's that. Uh, however, when it comes to a candidate, if I'm backing candidate A or candidate B, that candidate may lie, that candidate may be duplicitous, or that candidate may be inconsistent, and, and that candidate may run all kinds of ads that I find embarrassing or different than what I would do. So the baby in the womb is not going to do any harm or do any wrong or, or violate my principles or tarnish my witness, but the candidate might. So I could say I'm pro-life, I'm unashamedly pro-life, right? But would I say the same for a candidate? In any case, wherever we land on that, friends, wherever we land on it, our, our identification with Jesus much be, much, much, must be much better known. Our identification with Jesus must be proclaimed more loudly. People should know us first and foremost as followers of Jesus and only secondarily as those who vote for a candidate or vote for a party. Now, they can exaggerate it on their end. In other words, we could spend three hours with them talking about the Bible, and then they ask, who do you vote for? Or I voted for Trump, or I voted for this one or that one, and now they make that the whole issue. Okay, you can't, you can't change that. They did that. But on your end, you didn't spend three hours uh, arguing with them about politics, and then, by the way, at the end, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm a believer. I've lived next to you for 20 years. Like, I've seen your political signs for 20 years. And, and, and you're always talking about who you're voting for, but I haven't heard your testimony. It should never be like that. It should never be like that. So interestingly, I, I did a poll on Twitter. Now, on Twitter, you can only ask in, in, a, in a limited way, right? You're, you're uh, limited to a certain number of characters. But here's what I wrote on Twitter. If you're known to your friends, neighbors, and colleagues as a follower of Jesus... Should you put up signs in your yard for political candidates or wear a candidate's hat? Yes, because our politics reflects our faith. Or no, because this would muddle our gospel witness. Now, it's, it's interesting. Out of the 426 who responded, so this is a, a lower response on a poll. We'd only get, you know, a thousand or more responses. But still, it's representative out of 44, 45,000 Twitter followers who I have. So I don't have a, I don't have a big Twitter following compared to, to others, but still it's representative. It's largely Christian. It's largely conservative. Probably the majority would have been Trump voters in, in terms of those who are following me on Twitter. So it's very interesting. These were the results. Yes, got 33.3%, so exactly one third. No, got 42.5%. And not sure, 
24.2. When I wrote about it, I referenced a Twitter poll in an article I wrote, so you can go to my website, askdrbrown.org, askdrbrown.org. Go there and check out the recent article I wrote about that. I posted on Facebook as well. And there were, uh, uh, there's a lot of debate, discussion, healthy, excellent, back and forth on Facebook where people were arguing their point. They asked Dr. Brown's Facebook page. Some, some pros, some cons, some saying it depends and going back and forth on that. Uh, when I wrote the article, it was almost evenly divided between yes, no, and not sure. In the end, as the, the poll finished, and then up that no was the highest. Now, is this healthy? Does this reflect the fact that we realize in many ways we didn't put the gospel first in the last election and, and we divided over candidates rather than united around Jesus and some of us were more vocal in our support for a candidate than we had been vocal in our witness for Jesus. We were more unashamed about who we were voting for than we were unashamed about our savior. Is this a healthy policy and stance to say, hey, look, we, we're, we're going to cast our vote, but the moment we start campaigning for a candidate now, that's how people are going to look at us. I, when I endorsed Senator Ted Cruz, the only time I ever endorsed a candidate when I was asked by his dad to do it uh, early in the primaries, and I, I believed in Senator Cruz held to key values I held to, I, I didn't think that he would cave in under pressure. And his dad assured me that he was not just fighting the conventional way. He was going to do the right thing, even if it went against the political establishment, and, and which I thought was important. I thought you needed someone of an outsider to bring about change. When I endorsed him, I also, I also told Senator uh, uh, Rafael Cruz when, when we, we met, I was invited to a, a small lunch after a church service where he spoke, but uh, I told him that to me, gospel-based moral and cultural revolution is a deep value that I live by. And if Senator Cruz would bring together an alliance of faith leaders to give counsel and input as to how to bring about positive change in the country, that that would be something I would gladly serve on and be part of. So it was in that context of Rafael Cruz saying it's definitely something we want to do that I endorsed him. Now, he didn't do anything to disappoint me or let me down. In other words, he, he was the same guy that I had known him to be as I had followed him the little that I had and then looked into things a little bit more. The issue was the moment I did that, now I'm on the radio. Now it was announced, Cruz campaign announced, Dr. Michael Brown has now endorsed us and put the kind word about me and all that. Okay, and I mentioned it on the air. Now I'm writing my articles. Now I'm talking to you. The moment I did that, and I wouldn't have done it if I was the pastor of a church but because of talk radio and because of the larger scope we have with articles and things, I thought, okay, I'm going to do it in that capacity. But the moment I did, if I took issue with any other candidate as we were talking about the issues on the air, people immediately said, well, you're just a cruise guy. You're just in the cruise camp. And I thought, whoa, whoa, my main calling is to be a voice. My main calling is, is to be your voice for moral sanity and spiritual clarity. My, my main calling is to, is to help infuse you with faith and truth and courage, helping you stand strong. My main calling is to be a voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. But the moment I endorsed a candidate, I, I realized that I was now associated with that candidate and everything was now filtered through that. I'm not saying others shouldn't. James Robinson said to me, hey, Michael, I've never, I've never endorsed a candidate myself, but if you feel to do it, fine, but I, I, I would normally recommend against it. And I, 
afterwards, I thought, you know, I don't believe I'll ever do that again. Could there be a situation where I felt God wanted me to? It's possible. But honestly, I don't see why I would do it because it would compromise my primary voice and my primary mission and calling. Is it the same with you? Would a public endorsement of a candidate by wearing a hat or putting up a sign or, or putting up a bumper sticker compromise your primary calling as a witness? Is this a good sign that that's how the polling went? Or is it a very worrisome sign? Is it a bad sign? I, I did a TV shoot for James Robinson yesterday about the political seduction of the church. And he said, he said, Michael, you know what I believe the greatest seduction is? I'll tell you when we come back. You can call in. What's your opinion? Would you put up signs? 866-348-7884. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on the Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome back, friends, to the Line of Fire broadcast, 866-34-TRUTH. If you want to win, I'm going to talk about this just a little more and then switch subjects and then bring on my guest at the bottom of the hour, Kevin McGarry. Okay, James and I, with his wife Betty, did two shows that will air on Life Today on the political seduction of the church. He's going to be taking one chapter uh, is the church called to take over society, which he was so excited about. It's a lengthy chapter that he's putting it on the stream website. It's not on there now, but it will be stream.org. It'll just be there. Publisher agreed that it, people can read it for free. And then of course, read the rest of the book, the political seduction of the church. So as I speak of the political seduction of the church, as you know, I'm talking about the church marrying politics to the gospel the church becoming an appendage of a political party, the church becoming more consumed with winning elections than winning the lost, the church merging the kingdom of God with a national identity or wrapping the gospel in the American flag. Those are the kinds of things I've, I've talked about getting seduced, becoming part of the system rather than bringing our witness and impact to the system. James said, while agreeing with all that, that's why I was on the air talking about the book, that he believes the greatest seduction is, is Christians saying, it's no use even trying, we're out of here, not even voting. So is this a bad sign? Is it a bad sign that, that people say, you know, probably better not put a, a, a sign up supporting a candidate in my yard because I'll be better known for that than for my gospel witness, and now there's, there's a wall to, to overcome. That's, everyone has to work this out for themselves. And we all live in different communities. We have different neighbors. And, and we have different approaches to how we witness and, and make our faith known in our community. But these are all questions everyone has to evaluate. Our involvement in politics is critically important. If we're not involved, everything will collapse. And you know who's going to feel the brunt of it? Our kids and grandkids. Or if you're older, great-grandkids. Those are the ones who are going to feel the brunt of it. If we do not get involved, you say, well, Jesus is coming any minute. I heard that 50 years ago. We were told we're out of here 50 years ago. But the activists with other agendas, the, the radical feminists and, and sexual revolutionaries and gay liberationists and all of that, they weren't going anywhere. They're, this is where we live. This is our world. We're going to bring about change. And they did. 
Many of us thought Ron Fear, we didn't. And that's one reason we're in the state we're in today. So by all means, get involved, but we have to get involved the right way. We get involved, but we don't sell our birthright in the process. We get involved, but we don't compromise. So may the Lord guide those that are in the midst of, of these challenges. The husband of this couple said to me today, he wants a sign made saying, I vote for biblically-based candidates, something to that effect. Because everybody knows him in the community as a Bible guy. You know him as a Christian couple. So that's what, that's what he wants to do. And then you can talk, okay, what do you mean? Who is that? Now you have a conversation. And, and, well, why should we follow the Bible? Why should we? Ah, that's the conversation you'd love to have. Are you trying to impose the Bible on it? No, here, you vote your way, I vote my way. This is what fuels my viewpoint. And I think it's the best for the country. And so now you have a healthy conversation. I said, yeah, that, that I like, that I like. But again, let everyone use wisdom and know their role and, and hear the Lord on this. I'm, I'm not dictating. I'm not suggesting. I'm simply saying, use wisdom. Get God's mind and use wisdom. But if you do want to make a proclamation about, I vote this way, just make sure with those you have relationship with, not just a stranger passing you on the street, right? If you're wearing a hat for a candidate, you know, they're not going to be able to, they're just passing you on the street. But the people that you know, let, let your views and your commitment to Jesus be the strongest thing and, and that you're a decent person and that you're, you're consistent with your faith, that your political views be second to that. Fair enough? All right. <clears throat> so uh, I'm, I'm teaching on Jesus Revolution this semester at Christ for the Nations, three days a week, once a month in Dallas, Texas, and two days a week with the second year students at Spiritual Leadership School at Mercy Culture. So each school, a little different emphasis, but very similar. A uh, lot of, of, of on-fire, super committed people, young people and older. Uh, CFNI, especially with the international flavor, students from, from over 40 different nations where I am here this week. So I, this morning, I asked the students, how many of you uh, have a friend, loved one, close colleague, which would then be a friend, who identifies as someone on the LGBTQ plus spectrum? And the vast majority of hands went up. That's the world we live in today. And uh, yesterday I talked about this, and, and by Jesus' revolution, we're talking about Jesus changes us in a way that we have a life-giving impact on the society that we overcome evil with good, that we overcome darkness with light, that we overcome lies with truth, that we overcome hatred with love, that through our living godly lives, through our doing good deeds, through our winning the lost, through our bringing prophetic rebuke, through being the people God's called us to be by having a life-giving influence on all of society, whatever realm we work in and call in, that we can bring about revolutionary change through the gospel to America. So, Yesterday, I talked about LGBTQ plus issues and my calling that I received in 2004, reach out and resist, reach out to the people with compassion, resist the agenda with courage. And today it was just Q&A. Normally, I'll, I'll do about half the class, the last class Q&A, and then uh, the rest of the class I'll teach. Today, I said just Q&A. I showed a video from when I was on Tyra Banks dealing with transgender children issues uh, over 10 years ago. And then the rest of the time, Q&A. I, I couldn't finish getting to all the students. 
and I'm sure many more would have come on, on, on the line uh, to wait to, to ask if we had more time. And great questions, relevant questions, real questions about the world in which we live. Afterwards, more students were surrounding me, wanted to talk, so I, I, I took some more questions. I had limited time, but I still just talked some more questions one-on-one. And, and great questions, important questions. One young woman says to me, she says, uh, I came out of all the stuff you're talking about. She said I was gender fluid. So she'd go back from male, female to who knows, somewhere in between or beyond, whatever that is. Uh, she said she was omnisexual. So it's kind of like any, anything went with different people or whatever. She said, and polyamorous, meaning she was part of a multi-person relationship could be two girls and a guy or two guys and a girl or, or more. And she said, you know, the Lord saved her out of all of that. I said, how old are you? She said, 18. And I think at 18, she's already lived through this. At 18, she's already been that influenced by the culture. Because, because I can assure you, if she was raised in a different environment, in a different culture, at a different time, she would not have live like that at this stage of her life, there would be things she never would have heard of, never would have been options. She never would have thought about it. Never would have analyzed herself a certain way. But that's the world we live in. Then an older man, I'm not sure what country he was from, but, but uh, was, was from outside the United States. And he's talking to me with pain. Please pray for my daughter. In fact, let me give you her first name, Beatrice. You could pray for her. Those, you, I've got some prayer warriors that you listen regularly. You, you, you watch, and, and, your prayer, and you have a list of people that you pray for. If, if you feel prompted, put Beatrice on that prayer list. I said, uh, so he, what's going on? He said, she now identifies as a, as, a, as a man. She's using a man's name. She's on hormones, and she had her breasts removed. As a father, I think that's the dad that... He and his wife, it's a girl, we're having a girl. They did dress her up with those pretty frilly dresses and play with her, you know, and the dad take, take her on the shoulders and walk her around. That's our daughter, that's our girl. 20, 23 years old now at the age of 21. At the age of 21, she, she had a full mastectomy. Hmm. And this, friends, uh, one reason that I will not stop speaking out is, is because of people just like this. So after the class was over, I was now walking back from one building over to campus apartments. And w- one of the, the deans, so working at the school as a dean, wanted to talk to me. And, and she said, thank you for talking about these things which are so relevant to our students because I work with the students. And then she said the church's silence has hurt them. The church's silence has hurt them. Pastors, leaders, educators, parents, all those involved in different areas of ministry, you think, well, it's too volatile. I don't want to touch this because it's too controversial. We're going to get attacked. We're going to get rejected on social media. We're going to lose some people in our church or we'll be known in our neighborhood as the haters, and your silence is hurting people. All right, let me encourage everybody to do this. Do you have the new app, Ask Dr. Brown Ministries? If, if you went to Google 
or Android, you may have seen Ask Dr. Brown and Ask Dr. Brown Ministries. It's Ask Dr. Brown Ministries. The other is the old one that's being removed. ASKDR Brown Ministries. Get the app on Apple. Get the app. ASKDR Brown Ministries. Ask Dr. Brown Ministries on Apple and Android. It's available. It's an awesome app. It is super user-friendly. When you get it, scroll down to consider this. Get the app. Ask Dr. Brown Ministries. Scroll down to consider this, okay? When you get there, there are two videos I want you to watch. Can you be, they're just five, six minutes long, animated. Can you be gay and Christian? Can you be gay and Christian? And why don't more pastors speak out? So get the app, ask Dr. Brown Ministries, scroll down to consider this, click on that. The two videos. Can you be gay and Christian? Why don't more pastors speak out? Watch them. And if your pastors and leaders show them to your church, we'll be right back. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on the Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Hey friends, welcome back to the Line of Fire broadcast. In a moment, I will be talking to my guest, Kevin McGarry, uh, entrepreneur, author, public speaker. He's the co-founder of Every Black Life Matters, also chairman of the Frederick Doug- excuse me, Frederick Douglass Foundation of California. His new book is entitled Woked Up. Yeah, let me just uh, read the subtitle to you. Woked up, finally putting an axe to the taproot of white supremacy and racism in America. Okay, uh, we are waiting for him to pick up his phone. Our studio diligently been trying to reach him for a few minutes. Sometimes we have a time differential issue. Folks forget time zones or something comes up. But uh, we should be connecting any moment. And yes, Kevin who's writing about putting an axe to the taproot of white supremacy and racism in America, is himself a black American. So, uh, yeah, you get a lot of flack doing what he does, being in his skin, holding to the positions that he holds to. So, uh, with that, we've got Kevin on the line. Hey, welcome back, sir, to the line of fire. Dr. Brown, brother. It's been a while. How you been? I, I've been I've been really really well. And let me ask you something, just flat out. I mean, you you write yep. a book, your fifth book, "Woked Up." Yep. Finally, putting an end to the taproot of white supremacy and racism in America. You know, when you do this as a black conservative Christian from a lot of different sides, you're putting a target on your back, big time. What motivates you to do this? Well, uh, being, being you're a doctor and a Messianic Jew, you understand that uh, when you get sort of inspired divinely by Holy Spirit to do something, then you just kind of do it. So I just kind of uh, avail myself to uh, be divinely used by divine God, and uh, he gives me some you know wisdom and insight, and I just do it. I, you know, I just let the chips fall there where they may. I don't try to appease or uh, appeal to anyone. Uh, I just try to do what's faithful, righteous, and just according to... Uh, the inspiration I feel at the moment. So this is the fifth book. All my books have been written the same. They're all divinely inspired. I wish I could say I'm brilliant, 
and I just love to write, but I don't. <laughs> so it's all, you know, Holy Spirit's doing. I give him credit for it, and uh, I praise, praise God for what he's done. So it's, uh, it's a wonderful read. Good, wonderful, good. And, yeah. and just for our friends listening with different backgrounds, when a Christian author speaks about something being divinely inspired, he doesn't mean he's writing the Bible. He means he felt really stirred by the Lord that God gave him this burden and, and, and put the thoughts in his mind, hey, you got to get this message out. When, when, when you talk about, though, you're going to do what's right and you don't really worry about the consequences, so you're, you're part of this Frederick Douglass Foundation. What does his example in the past mean to you today? Yeah, so Douglas's legacy uh, is really rich. I don't know if many people have heard his story, read his story, but Frederick Douglass was uh, just an incredible, incredible man that, that God pulled up from obscurity and placed him in a position of, of just being a great statesman, uh, minister, leader, uh, patriot. I mean, just an incredible, incredible man. So I get inspired from Douglas' legacy because he did things just like, I mean, he, he, he did not, uh, he, he, he did things out of principle, uh, out of conviction, out of what he felt was right in accordance with, uh, with the Word of God that he preached. And he, didn't, he just kind of let the chips fall where they may as well. So when you do things out of that, as opposed to trying to cater to uh, culture, trying to cater to you know, the, the right side or left side, you know, all of that, then you start getting, uh, your message starts going askew and you start floating uh, and not and, and actually becoming more irrelevant. So uh, I think in, in learning that from Douglas, uh, you know, that certainly has, has set me uh, uh, with my eyes set like a flint. Man, I am uh, I am stirred and I'm ready to go. The Lord has just uh, given me a great, great um, you know inspiration to, to do this, and so that's why I'm here. And you know, when you think Douglas dies in 1895. Right. If he could do what he did then and take the stance he did then, the courage it took to do that, it makes it easy for any of us today in comparison to, to the obstacles he had to overcome. All right. So what is the central thesis of Woked Up? Well, the central thesis is this. So I, I was thinking that, OK, I'll write a book on wokeism. And uh, I thought, well, um, what does that really entail? And I thought, you know, everybody understands that wokeism is principally uh, rooted in Marxism, right? So I thought, okay, I need to start with Marxism. And I, again, that divine nudge was like, no, 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 no. You don't start with Marx. Marx actually had a, a mentor, and he and Engels were actually protégés of someone. You start with that someone. So I went back and took a look at where Marx's early works, uh, you know, all of their early works were dedicated to Charles Robert Darwin. So I started with Darwin, and I went to with Darwin, and I said, uh-oh, this is literally the taproot of white supremacy and racism, because Darwin wrote things like, um, in his first book, The uh, Natural Selection, and in the title, in the subtitle, it said, For the Preservation of Most Favored Races. So he, he really brought that distinction forward, like, you know, there, there are favored races, there are distinctions uh, between racists and ethnicities. And uh, in his second book, he, he really put the pedal to the metal. He went... Uh, you know, as far as to say, look, you know, we white, the European, Caucasian, Aryans, uh, you know, we're supreme. And, uh, and you know, we have supreme intellect. We're obviously supreme uh, in, in our resourcefulness and our ability to get things done. So, uh, you know, compared to other ethnicities, other races, you know, and take, for instance, the black. Look at them. Uh, they're, they're still, you know, on my evolutionary scale that I've just created. Uh, look, you could tell that they're still subhuman and they're trying to climb the evolutionary scale. And, oh, by the way, I would classify them along with apes, savages, and gorillas. 
So, you know, when you see that, you see white supremacy, right, uh, in the first stance, and then you see, wow, racism, uh, rampant, grotesque in the second stance. So this is really the guy who kind of set this this whole thing, this whole conundrum that we're, we're hearing so much about. Uh, you know, uh, he, he's really the taproot of that. Now, the way it played out was he did, he said and did what he did. Then, you know, the, 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 the torch bearer from there was, was Marx and Engels and, and they incorporated all of his thoughts and philosophies in their works. And, uh, today then, so that, that leads us to today with wokeism fundamentally and it's inescapable folks. It is inescapable. Wokesters and wokes, woke, wokeism generally is rooted and grounded in white supremacy and racism that they point their fingers at, uh, you know, white Christian nationalists and, you know, Christians this and that and evangelicals uh, and whites generally. You're all white, racist, you know, uh, uh, supremacists. Uh, well, guess what? Uh, by definition, they literally are. And so it's not the ad hominem they point fingers at. It's literally... Um, that, that, that's what they're rooted in. So it's a real, it just turns all of our, in, you know, existing ideas about wokesters and wokeism on its head. And it gives you facts that you can actually fact check. You can go back and see the actual literal private letters and, and exact quotes and everything is there. So it's, there's nothing to be hidden here. I mean, it's just a matter of fact. My friends, the book by Kevin McGarry, Woked Up. Finally putting an axe to the taproot of white supremacy and racism in America. So, so let, me, let me come at this from some different angles. And, and you're, you're quite happy to take uh, opposing types of questions. Are you, saying, are you saying that in right-wing conservative Republican circles that there is no racism and there is no white supremacy, that it's all on, on the left? Is that what you're saying? No, not at all, not at all. Uh, because of Darwin's influence, K through 16, uh, through even more, we've all been at some level, uh, you know, subjected to the supremacy that comes from Darwinian thought, okay? So this is just, you know, we're, we go to school, this is what we're raised in, okay? So this is everywhere, it's pervasive. Um, now, um, you know, and, and uh, certainly that, you know, that, that, that has its impact wherever it has its impact, but what I, so you're going to find that, you know, wherever. Uh, so I'm not absolving anybody. I don't look at it through a lens of politics or right or left. I look at it through a lens of right or wrong. Okay, let's just call it what it is, what Darwin did, and what our primary K-12 through curriculum and academics is based on, Darwinian thought. Uh, and that is white supremacy and racism. Period, hard stop, end of story. Nobody can really debate it, okay? When you go through it, you just go through it and you'll see it. Now, uh, what Marx did was even worse than Darwin, if you could believe that. I mean, Marx was a demon in the flesh. And literally, what I am saying is any leftist that's in full embrace of Marxism, you are inescapably white supremacist and racist, period. Hard stop, end of story. I am also saying that any abortionist, who, uh, you know, hey, you know, I, I'm a pastor, but I still believe women should have the right to choose. Okay, fine. Uh, just accept the fact that you are participating in white supremacy and racism. The reason why I say that is because Darwin and his first cousin, Francis Galton, are the fathers of eugenics. Now, literally, they started eugenics because they wanted to protect their supremacy. Uh, Francis Galton was, a started, Galton was a statistician, and he began to see 
the population rates of these other ethnicities, and it caused them great concern. And he went to his older cousin, Charles Darwin, and says, look, you know, we got these other ethnicities. They're going to start to encroach on our pure supremacy. And uh, what can we do about it? He and Darwin concocted out of nowhere, no science, nothing, uh, eugenics, which means well-born. And so they've come up with this way that, hey, if you're not well-born, you can be summarily exterminated. This is what led to the Jews, the extermination of Jews, you know, with Hitler, Stalin, Lenin, Pol Pot, Mao, all of them pointed to uh, Darwin and Darwin's words about being able to do those things, those horrible atrocities. So uh, when it came to the United States, it came by way of Margaret Sanger, and she says, look, you know, we want to exterminate the Negro population. We're going to do it by way of abortion, period. That, that's her word, okay? So if you are in an embrace of abortion, if you are in an embrace of Marxism, guess what? You own it, and you, and you can't escape it. So this book makes it plain, and it's all there. Hey, friends, if, if you're wondering what Kevin really thinks, you're finding out what Kevin really thinks. He's, he's not here to score political points. And, you know, the, the thing with Margaret Sanger, she listed a number of different groups. They were different ethnicities. They were minorities, I- including blacks. And they were like the weeds. And there was, there was an idea that over time the world would get overpopulated, which would lead to mass suffering and starvation and terrible deaths. So let's say you have a lot of poor people living really in close proximity in, in almost like ghetto kind of situation and a, and a serious disease breaks out like a plague. The best thing to do is let, just let it play its course. This is a thinker that influenced Sanger. Just let it play its course and, and then that's good. That's survival of the fittest. They're gone and we won't deal with these issues later. Yes, this is behind the origins of the modern abortion movement. It's, it's reality, friends. Be right back with Kevin. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on the Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. All right. Great to be back with you on the Line of Fire. I'm not taking any calls today, speaking with Kevin McGarry. His new book, book number five, Woked Up, finally put an axe to the taproot of white supremacy and racism in America. All right, Kevin, I I, want to explore one more issue with you. And for those who think he's exaggerating, he's taking things out of context, check out the book, check out the research, do what he said, follow it, look at it, come to your conclusions. Um, we have generally a situation where rather than address a real issue, we just shout at each other from either side and then we pass each other like ships in the night. So on the one yep. hand, there is a real dangerous quote, wokeism, which blames everything on white supremacy, makes every Trump voter an insurrectionist, Christian nationalist, uh, uh, wants to reinstitute slavery. I mean, whatever, you know, just the most extreme caricaturist. So you have that attack from the one side, just this constant guilt trip and, and trying to guarantee equal outcomes, and, and it, you end up with reverse discrimination. Then you have sometimes on the other side, people that don't want to acknowledge our history, don't want to acknowledge the inequities that remain, don't want to acknowledge problems. And, and again, we just pass each other like ships at night. So the subject of CRT comes up. So obviously a big topic of your book, Woked Up. 
CRT comes up. The proponents say, no, we, we just want to teach history accurately and, and give students an opportunity to evaluate the, the, the good and the bad in American history, even up until recently. And the critics say, what are you talking about? You're, you're blaming everything on race. You're making white people feel guilty just because they're white. That's not the issue at all. So hopefully all people who love the truth want accurate history taught. All people who want the truth want to look at society right now through honest eyes and say what's good, what's bad, what's right, what's wrong. In your view, what is CRT really about in our children's schools? We understand that the legal theory of CRT is taught in law schools and graduate level, but as it's filtered down, in your view, having looked at this as a conservative black Christian in America, what's your view of CRT? What's it about? What's it doing in the schools? Okay, so critical race theory is, if I had one word to describe it, I'd say demonic. Okay, it's hateful, it's demonic, it is unbelievably horrible. We don't, you know, but when I was growing up in inner city San Francisco, I was a boy from the hood and just a real hooligan, man, I was just a mess. Uh, it took a long time for me to really understand hate. I didn't understand what hate was. Uh, you know, I just knew that, hey, I, I hung with my boys and other people hung with their boys, you know, it was all. But, you know, I didn't really hate them. Uh, it wasn't until I was maybe a young adult that I understood what hate was. And I, I maybe had some uh, hateful, this, you know, spiteful uh, thoughts about people. But here, uh, critical race theory is actually teaching literally our uh, children, innocent children, how to hate other people because of purported wrongs uh, that happened in the 1800s. Now. Uh, we hear people, critical uh, CRT uh, proponents, saying, no, 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 look, we just want to teach accurate history. And what I've demonstrated time and time and time and time again is, look, okay, if you just want to demonstrate accurate history, um, why don't you actually tell the two factions that were available in the 1800s? Why don't you, in your books, it's not in Kendi's books, it's not in D'Angelo's books, it's not in any of the books that purport to support critical race theory being taught, uh, the actual factions who actually enslaved, uh, you know, blacks, uh, they don't, they don't mention that. Why don't they? It's, it's really quite convenient. Why don't any of these school boards actually say, look, we want to teach accurate history and we are going to teach them that it was Southern Democrats that held blacks as slaves that started slavery, chattel slavery in America. They would never say that. So, so they're so these are liars. These are deceivers that we read about in in the Bible. These are not people that just want to, you know, hey, be be consistent with truth and historical fact. Uh, they want to obscure it. Why don't you tell that we had a civil war? That there was a righteous side of the civil war. They were white. Uh, they were white men coming from the north. They were abolitionists who actually set people like me free. So. Uh, they don't, but no, but instead they say, no, 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 all whites are guilty and complicit with what happened. Excuse me. We had a lot of white families, the northerners, that lost uh, fathers, sons, grandfathers, nieces, I mean, not nieces, nephews, and et cetera. You understand what I'm saying? But they yep. don't ever explain that. So, so these, are, these are deceivers. These are fraudulent people with, uh, with nefarious goals, okay? Yeah. So as far as as what's what's being taught in the schools what should be taught as 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 christians as people who love righteousness people who just love justice what should our kids be learning about american history 
they should be learning accurate history. I, I'm all in for teaching accurate history, which means you name the parties, you name the culprits, you name the people specifically who did the harm, and you name them. You don't you don't run away from them. You say, look, you know, this is part of the Democrat Party's history. This is what happened. Uh, we understand it was the 1800s. We don't have to hold anything against them right now. We understand that. But why can't you just name them, okay? That's the biggest issue with our history not being taught is that they try to uh, sort of revision it, right? So we have this revisionist history they're trying to teach our children, which paints only one side as guilty and complicit with what happened, and uh, it's completely, completely uh, false. And so, uh, you know, here's the other thing about that. The reason why I say it's pure demonism is because it was created by the Marxists out of... Uh, uh, Columbia University. Everybody understands that story. If you understand the history of CRT, you understand that there were uh, four people who escaped Hitler's Germany, came here, tried to set up you know, Marxism here in the United States, studied it, realized that if they can have some critical thinking uh, about these things, uh, critical theories, uh, that they can actually come up with some ways. It, it, it began with sort of critical legal theories. It sort of evolved. Critical, critical race theory came uh, later in the you know early 1970s or so with some some black academic uh, attorney types who, who studied the critical theory stuff. So anyway, that's just a brief background. But anyway, here, here's the thing. It's manifestly uh, demonic because it is Marxist. If you know anything about Marx, his number one goal wasn't his economic theory. No, no, no. He says, look, my number one goal is to dethrone God. He says, my number one goal is to train everybody to be revolutionaries, just what we have with the Wolfsters today, so that they will look at every hegemonic system and overturn it. Everything that is consistent, that is traditional, that is uh, meaningful, uh, that was his vote. So if, if you're trying to understand what's happening right now, it's Marxism, and Marx was a demon. So that, that, that's what's happening. All right, friends, if you want straight talk, you get it from Kevin McGarry. The new book, Woked Up. Check it out. Check out his other writings. And Kevin, uh, may the truth triumph. That's my heart. That's my prayer. Thanks for being who you are. I appreciate it. All right. God bless. I appreciate you. Appreciate you, Dr. Uh, Brown. Thank you for having me. All right. You're very welcome. All right. I'm not going to give out the number because we've just got a minute or two left. So, so, another reminder. I just got our count uh, for Israel trip. We, we, We were able, if you missed the announcement a few weeks ago, we were able to open up more rooms at uh, one key hotel because we, we weren't going to have enough room to, to get uh, two, bus, two bus loads in. We're able to work it out. We got extra rooms. So we still have room, but space is limited. I'm talking about our Israel trip, May 2023, the trip of a lifetime. And it's one of those, you won't be suffering on the ground, five-star hotels. Folks wanted to do it really specially nice. We're doing it really specially nice. So great meals, good night's sleep, and not only the amazing tour by day, but at night, we do most every night, whoever's up for it, we do it, a Q&A with me, or uh, we're actually going to have a health Q&A with, with uh, Drs. Mark and Angela uh, Stangler. Uh, we'll, we'll have worship with a local Messianic leader or teaching from a local Messianic leader. You'll join me for a live radio show. I may have something really heavy on my heart, just want to download to everybody. So we, we get really good time together. It's all on the website, askdrbrown.org, A-S-K-D-R-Brown.org. Check it out. Sign up now. Space is limited. And remember to download the app, Apple, Android, 
Ask Dr. Brown Ministries, ASKD or Brown Ministries. Download it today. Another program powered by the Truth Network.